Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, etc., and welcome to episode 4 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with the retro game I used to play back when I was younger, or maybe a modern game I've played recently. Thanks for giving the show a listen. I really appreciate you joining me by the campfire, my friends. On today's episode, we're going to be sticking with the Super Nintendo another week and talk about a game that's near and dear to my heart. There's a lot of video games out there that I love, but there aren't too many that give me the doses of nostalgia quite like this game. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time. Just the mere mention of this game gives me the warm and fuzzies. And don't get me started on the soundtrack. You'll get to hear some of the music when we get into the game talk, but the soundtrack to this game? Man, as soon as I hear it, I can't help but nod my head and tap my foot. I grew up watching the cartoons when I was little, and I played just about all the other Ninja Turtle games on the original Nintendo at my grandma's house. As I grew up, I played Turtles in Time a bunch on the Super Nintendo, and any time I would see it in an arcade. I didn't have any siblings to play this game with growing up, but I have a few pretty cool co-op memories to share. This game is solid on its own, but it's a blast with a fellow turtle by your side. If you've never played this game, you can try and hunt this game down physically if you have a Super Nintendo lying around, or if your second job is being a pirate if you know what I mean, gyar. However, unless it gets pushed out for some reason, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Kawabunga Collection is set to release on August 30th, 2022. And in this collection, you'll get access to 13 Ninja Turtle games that were released in the late 80s and the early 90s, and Turtles in Time will be included in that collection. The Kawabunga Collection is going to be available on the PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series Everything, and the Nintendo Switch, and I think you can play it on PC too, but don't quote me. That being said, in less than a month you'll be able to play this game in all its glory on your console of choice, so don't sleep on this one. Before we get into the Turtles talk, as is becoming part of my normal pre-show spiel, I wanted to give you all a peek behind the scenes here at the Retro Wildlands and let you know what I'm up to and what I've been working on. If none of this interests you, no worries, will not take offense, you should be able to skip ahead about 10 minutes or so and you'll be into the Turtles talk. So with four episodes in the bank, I'm already learning a lot about the whole process of recording episodes, managing my notes, planning out content, and this whole thing has really been fun for me. I've been experimenting with how I deliver the podcast. And what I mean by that is, in episode 1 and 2, I wanted to try a very free-form conversational type of approach. When I was recording, all I had were bullet points, and I would just speak to those bullet points. Last episode, when we talked about The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, I wrote out a word-for-word script, and I read about 80% of it instead of just going free-form. I'm trying to figure out what sounds better and what's going to save me the most time when I actually create these podcasts. I really enjoy writing out scripts, but it takes time, and last episode I forgot to mention some things I really wanted to talk about because I had spent half a day writing out a 13-plus page script and I was pretty burnt out by the end. Although, I personally think the podcast itself sounded better in its actual delivery. Whereas, episode 1 on Resident Evil contained everything I wanted to talk about, but I felt like the conversation itself was very disjointed since I wasn't reading an actual script. But that's just me, maybe I'm thinking too much and it really doesn't matter, but those that know me in real life know that I can be overly critical of myself and my work, so there's that. 
I say all that to say, I'm going to keep experimenting and try to find that sweet spot. If you'd like to give me any feedback on anything regarding the podcast, I am all ears. You can get a hold of me on Twitter and Instagram, at RetroWildlands. I'm working to post something on those platforms at least once a day, so I'll definitely be around. And I've also created a Facebook page that you should be able to find if you search The Retro Wildlands. I just built it a few days ago, and I'm still learning how to work all that stuff, but you can reach me over there as well. The page is still relatively new, and we have a lot of boxes of junk still lying around needing unpacked, so I do apologize for the mess. Okay, that's enough of that for now. Let's talk Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. Originally released in arcades in 1991, and then released on the Super Nintendo in August of 1992 in North America, it remains one of the best Ninja Turtle games out there. With fun gameplay, a killer soundtrack, and plenty of fan service, this game continues to be etched into my very being as a gamer. Not too many games send me back like this one does, and very few games cause me to stop in my tracks when I see it. So scooch in closer to the fire, my friends, lay down your swords, nunchucks, bow staff, and size, and grab a fresh slice of pizza. Let's share some stories about the four teenage ninjas who traveled through time. sure how it works so much anymore these days with all the streaming services we have, but has anyone ever just flipped through what's on TV, aimlessly looking for something to catch your eye, or scrolling through the listings of what's on what channel and then you just see it? That one movie you have to put on every time you do see it, even if you've seen it a hundred times at that point, that's what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time is to me in a lot of ways, especially when I was younger. Now, this game was originally released as an arcade title back in 1991, and the couple times I do remember going to the arcades way back when, I was drawn to this cabinet any time I saw it. The Ninja Turtles cartoon was something I would watch all the time, and this game was based mainly on that cartoon series. Growing up as an only child, I didn't really have anyone to play this game with, so I'd always play by myself, and of course, I never really got that far. But I didn't care. I still had a blast every time I played it. I picked my favorite turtle and went to town on the mobs of foot soldiers that threw themselves at me in every level. Didn't matter what other arcade machines there were, the Ninja Turtles would always take all of my allowance. Unless there happened to be a cabinet of Afterburner or something involving fighter jets, but that's a podcast for another time. So in 1992, when I was a seven-year-old little nomad, they brought that Ninja Turtles arcade game home to the Super Nintendo for everyone to be able to play in the comfort of homes everywhere. My earliest memory playing it was maybe when I was eight, I think. We had a Super Nintendo in the home with a couple of games, but the system belonged to my mom's second husband, I'm pretty sure. I think Ninja Turtles actually belonged to him because when he split, I know I lost access to some of my SNES games and this was one of them. 
but the time I did spend with this game was magical and would stick with me for many years to come. Some of my other friends had it and I remember playing it with them once in a while when I would have sleepovers with them. It was the perfect game to complement my love for the Ninja Turtles. I even got a couple action figures for my birthdays here and there. Ooh, which reminds me, my prized Ninja Turtle toy is still here in my home office. Does anyone remember that pizza thrower vehicle? It had a dozen pizza discs that you would feed in from the top and it would shoot them out at the other action figures. Oh, somebody listening has to remember that gem. So what's this game all about? A decent amount of the Ninja Turtle games around this era were mostly side-scrolling beat-em-ups, and this is exactly what Turtles in Time is. Super simple premise. Pick your favorite turtle and complete each stage by beating the shit out of the many foot soldiers and robots that want to stop you. Many beat-em-ups around this time really didn't have a deep story or anything, and Turtles in Time was no different. But let's go ahead and talk about that story. Now you're going to want to strap in, this is going to be a wild ride. So, Shredder and Krang steal the Statue of Liberty. No idea why they stole it, but the Turtles are not having it. So they set off to get it back. However, here's where it all goes sideways. A third of the way through the game, Shredder banishes the Turtles to a time warp. The Turtles have to fight through the past and even the future to find a way back home, defeat Shredder, and return the Statue of Liberty back to where it belongs. I kinda wish we knew why Shredder wanted the statue. I feel like he and the Foot Clan just wanted to commit the highest levels of vandalism possible, but I guess we could just leave it up to our imaginations. And with that, that is the story. Not complicated doesn't need to be complicated. You have all the reasons you need to move forward in the game. There are 10 stages in total, and if I remember correctly, I don't think there was this many in the arcade game. They added one or two for the SNES version. Each stage has varying types of enemies you had to defeat so you could move on. Most of the arcade cabinets I remember seeing allowed you to play as all four turtles at once, but on the Super Nintendo, you could only play as two at a time. Not a bad thing, though. But because of that, I think this is why most gamers love this game so much. I personally don't have a ton of co-op memories with this game, but I know a lot of gamers that have had much nostalgia for this game because of all the time they spent playing with their siblings, family members, or their friends. And that's certainly a big part of it for me, but even when I played the game alone, I couldn't help but love the time I spent with it. While a good part of it was the sheer fact that it was a Ninja Turtles game, more or less based on the cartoon I was watching at the time, it was just a really fun game to play. Of course, it was a hell of a lot better with a friend, but I still had a blast. So as we've grown accustomed to doing here in the Retro Wildlands, let's break it down into what makes this game such a blast, and even talk about one of the only real shortfalls I think this game has. First though, let's talk about how the game itself actually plays. When you first start playing, you have to make a very important choice. You have to decide what Ninja Turtle you're going to play as. The game in no way explains any of this, but there are some significant differences in each of the turtles, and they don't play exactly alike for the most part. Regardless of who you do pick, you have some of the same basic attack types. Smashing your attack button will deal damage to whatever you're hitting, and hit something enough, and you'll string together a four-hit combo, with the last hit sending the poor sucker you're wailing on flying. You can jump and attack in the air when you're jumping up, and you can attack when you're coming down. You can run forward and do a shoulder charge into the enemy, and you can do a sliding move too. 
There's other moves, but that's the general gist. Oh, and I almost forgot about the special move. I think it's when you press your attack and your jump button together that you can do your special attack. Leonardo's, for example, is your classic beat-em-up special where he swings his swords in a 360-degree motion hitting everything around him, which is great when you're feeling overwhelmed. Michelangelo jumps forward, but he swings his nunchucks to the sides, creating a very wide damage path clearing out whatever is in front of him. These moves are pretty useful, but like most special moves in these kind of games, they will cost you a little bit of your life if you do land a hit, so there's that trade-off to consider. I think some beat-em-ups call these moves desperation attacks, since you only really use them when, well, you're desperate. Anyway, back to the turtles themselves. Again, this game doesn't really tell you any of this until you try each turtle, but you'll discover some turtles are better in some areas than others. Leonardo, for instance, is pretty average all the way around when it comes to damage, his weapon's range, and his speed. His four-hit combo is probably my least favorite out of all the other turtles, though. He just jumps straight up, swings his sword down between his legs, and that's about it. When it hits, it does do a decent amount of damage, but the range of his normal attacks are just a hair longer than his final swing, so I found myself missing that last combo at times. Kind of a minor annoyance I felt like calling out because, I don't know, I love complaining about stuff, but anyway, I, more than anything, I just hope that others had this same issue and it wasn't just me playing badly. Now, moving on to Raphael, he's actually the fastest turtle speed-wise. His damage output seemed alright, and his range was pretty short with his size, and it might have just been me, but I swear Raphael takes more damage. Now Donatello, on the other hand, he has the best range with his bow staff, but he seemed a little slower than the other turtles to me. Then Michelangelo seemed to have the best defense when I used him. Could have been me, but I felt like I took more hits with him before I lost life compared to the others. His four-hit combo seemed to take the most out of the foot soldiers in one string, so I'm not sure if that was a thing or not. His range is also short, and I didn't like the fact that it seemed to take like a half a second for Mikey to wind up his swing with his nunchuck to start his combo. That delay really, really stood out to me. Oh, and I just wanted to be clear too as I'm going through all of these observations. I played the game through recently on the normal difficulty with all four turtles to test them out, so don't come at me saying I was on easy difficulty for one turtle and on the hard difficulty for another. These observations may have just been in my head, but I tried my best to play consistently. I checked some stuff out online after I finished the game, and I found plenty of Reddit articles and things like that where people tried to figure out some of the statistical differences in the turtles, and they're all over the place depending on where you look. It is interesting to me though, and I sort of like that about games that didn't really spell something out for you. While some of the newer games, like Shredder's Revenge, which came out this year, actually rate the turtle stats on the character selection screen, I kind of like not knowing and having to play the character to figure out what they're good at, but that's just me. So I'm sure the burning question that at least three of you are probably asking yourselves is, which turtle is your favorite, Nomad? Well, oddly enough, even though I dunked on his four-hit combo just now, I always played as Leonardo. He was my favorite of the turtles when I was little, and that was mostly due to the fact that his weapons were the swords. It wasn't really more complicated than that. But I did also like him for the fact that he was the no-nonsense turtle and the team leader. I think that him being my favorite when I was a kid was kind of an odd choice, but that's the way it was, and I always played as him. So is Leo my favorite turtle to this day? That... I don't know. Jury's still out on that one. 
Gun to my head, yes, Leonardo is still my favorite Ninja Turtle, but it's mostly for nostalgia reasons now, I think. I think I relate more to Raphael nowadays and have come to appreciate how much of an asshole he can be, but I also really like Donatello for several reasons too. I appreciate his wit, his intelligence, and just how good-natured he is. And my apologies to you, Michelangelo. You make me laugh sometimes, but yeah, I, I don't dislike you, but I'm probably not going to pick you when I play this game. Anyway, we all have our favorites, and each turtle really does bring something to the table. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent. I could argue turtles all day if you let me, so let's get back on the rails here. Alright, so now that we've talked the heroes in the half-shell, let's talk about all the enemies you're going to be giving a beatdown on. Now, of course, there's going to be a lot of foot soldiers, the robot thugs of the Foot Clan that do Shredder and Krang's dirty work. They're going to be the most common enemy, but there's just enough variety of them to keep things fresh. You've got the purple ones, which are your basic kind and try to beat on you with their fists, but others carry weapons and other items. You've got your blue foot soldiers, who sometimes carry swords and axes, white ones with some pretty strong nunchucks, pink ones that chuck throwing stars, and these yellow bastards that throw these spiked frisbees that act like boomerangs. There's others that toss throwing knives, even ones that jump out of the sewers and chuck the manhole covers at you. Oh, and let's not forget the ones that can block your attacks from the front. Oh, do you guys remember these bastards? I think you could damage them if you hit them with the last string of your combo, but I know you can damage them from behind, or you can charge into them, but good god were these things an acute pain in my ass, especially when you mix them in with other enemies. Now see, for someone who's listening to this and maybe hasn't played this game, it doesn't sound all that exciting or challenging. But those of you who've played this game and have had to go up against regular foot soldiers while the yellow one throws its overpowered frisbee boomerang thing at you, and then pink ones come on the scene and start throwing the ninja stars at you, might understand this struggle a little bit better. It sounds like chaos, but you have to be cognizant of all the enemy types around you and you have to adapt yourself accordingly. Now, okay, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say this is the most in-depth beat-em-up you're ever going to play. I mean, one way you can just clear the screen is to shoulder check a guy, grab him, and whip him from side to side and clear out any enemy stupid enough to be near you while you do it because that is a thing you can do. But the point I'm trying to make is you don't get the same enemy thrown at you over and over again. There is a decent variety. And what gives this game even more enemy variety are the various robots and other creatures you're going to come across. Aside from the foot soldiers, you'll run into mousers, which are those little dinky robots that are very weak, but they bounce all over the screen and can latch onto your turtle and do some decent damage. These little annoyances were featured in the cartoon, and I do remember squealing a little bit in delight the first time I saw them when I was a kid. I mean, they suck sometimes if you don't take them out right away, but still, nostalgia is awesome. Those that have played this game are probably starting to think about that other pain-in-the-ass robot enemy. In the video games, they are known as Roadkill Rodney, for reasons unknown to me. I do know these things appeared in the old cartoon, but they called them robotic unicycles. Call them whatever you want, I call them robotic pains in my asshole. I can just remember dying so many times to these things. They zipped around the screen really fast and would either stop to fire a laser blast from across the screen, or they would try and wrap you up in this electric lasso thing, and that did a ton of damage. I remember once getting hit by that thing, watching my turtle get zapped, 
Then, to my left, another robot would be winding up his lasso thing, so as soon as I got free, bzzz, more damage. I don't know how you all feel, but beat-em-ups in general frustrate me a little bit if I'm constantly getting beat on. This double lasso horseshit had me belting out all the cool curse words I learned from my parents. Oh, these fucking robots. Okay, moving on from those things. Keeping with the theme of the 1980s cartoon, another enemy you'll face are the rock soldiers. These guys look like they sound. Human-looking soldiers made entirely of rock. They're about as tough as they sound, and you don't see them very often. They take a decent amount of damage to kill, but what makes them more of a threat are some of the weapons that they carry. Some try to beat you down with their fists, others have machine guns or other firearms. They also like to charge at you from off-screen when they enter the battlefield, and that sucks if you're not paying attention. Still, they aren't too bad. Just don't get surrounded. When you stop to wallop on one, the others will try to flank you and turn you into a nice green turtle paste. One more enemy I want to mention, I apologize now if I geek out a little too much here. In stage 3, and only stage 3, you're surfing through the sewers and you come across some big yellow monstrosities. These are the pizza monsters. In the cartoon, these baddies appeared in just one episode of the show. Born from eggs that look like tiny meatballs that were found in Dimension X, the Pizza Monster episode of the cartoon was one that I'll always remember because it would always scare the crap out of me. If you don't know what a Pizza Monster looks like, search them out on Google. Now granted, they probably don't look as menacing looking back in the old late 80s cartoon, but these things look just like the xenomorphs from the Alien movies. Long head, sharp claws, rows of razor sharp teeth, in the cartoon, Shredder and Baxter Stockman tried to put these eggs that the creatures were born from on top of the Ninja Turtles pizza, but April O'Neil and Irma got a hold of one instead and accidentally hatched the egg in a microwave. It was so creepy to me, and the whole episode became one of my favorites. And when I replayed the game recently, I couldn't help but smile a little when I saw these guys. Oh, this nostalgia thing is such a drug. And with that, I think that's all the rank-and-file enemies, really. I won't be able to do this episode any true justice, though, if I don't talk about the bosses at the end of each stage. A big part of this game that I absolutely loved was wondering what character from the show would be the boss at the end of the stage. When each stage begins, the silhouette of whoever the boss was going to be would be featured right in front of you before you started playing that stage. It's sort of a, who's that Pokemon, kind of thing where you almost try and guess who you're going to be fighting each time. Now, if you haven't seen the cartoon or you're not that big a Ninja Turtles fan like some of us, then it's nothing really to worry about. Still, the bosses in this game are pretty okay gameplay-wise. Other than that nostalgic hit that they give you, they're all pretty cookie-cutter, except for one. Now, I was on the fence as to whether or not I'd get to the bosses in fear of spoiling that feeling I had when I was a kid, but this game is old enough, and I have to imagine that if you're a diehard Ninja Turtles fan, you've either played this game or you know what's in it. I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I'm going to talk about the ones that I considered my favorites. In the very first stage, you go up against Baxter Stockman in his fly form. It's an easy fight overall, but I still remember seeing him for the first time, and I was floored that he was in a video game. And as far as the Ninja Turtle villains go, I've always felt like Baxter Stockman could have been more of a threat to the Turtles than Shredder ever was. But that's just adult me looking at how smart he is, and what kind of gadgets he could really cook up if he wanted. He's pretty badass in some of the Turtle comics I've read, too. 
but besides all that, he did make a pretty good first boss. The Rat King also makes an appearance in the sewer level. He was a kooky sort of a villain to me, and I never really cared for his character all that much personally, but I know he's got his fair share of followers. The battle has him on top of a hovercraft vehicle that I can't remember the name of. It would shoot missiles out in front and then drop spike traps that the turtles could stub their toes on. Two things stood out for me in this fight. First, I had the actual toy of whatever that vehicle was that the Rat King was driving, so seeing that in my video game was about as amazing as finding my stepdad's stash of girly mags. It was my toy, in a video game! Now the second thing that stood out probably more so for everyone else who's played this game was the iconic yell that the turtles let out when they stepped on one of those spike traps. My toes! My toes! It was so annoying to step on those things, but the cries of pain the turtles let out instantly recall memories. Do you guys remember it? My toes! My toes! Bebop and Rocksteady make an appearance later in the game, and their battle is probably my second favorite overall. For those that don't know, Bebop is a humanoid warthog, and Rocksteady is a humanoid rhinoceros. They're your typical lackey characters, dumber than a box of rocks, and only attack the turtles with brute strength. When you fight them in the video game, it's obvious they're both a couple of idiots with how they sometimes get their weapons locked together, which allows you for a free hit, by the way. And I love that when you do damage one enough, they push the other one into the battle to fight for them instead. The battle itself wasn't all that hard, but I just love those little touches that made their character stand out even more. And when you do enough damage to just one of them, they'll actually kill each other off because they get into a fight with each other. To me, it was a really great touch by the developers. I loved it. Toka and Razar make an appearance as mid-level bosses you have to fight together. While they did appear in just one episode of the cartoon, they're probably more well-known for their appearance in the second live-action movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Secret of the Ooze. Toka is a mutant snapping turtle, and Razar is a mutant wolf. These were enemies I was not expecting to see in this game since they came straight from the live-action movie. It was awesome, though, and in their fight in-game, it's pretty cool to watch them interact with each other. They would team up and throw each other at you, or Toko would jump on Razar's shoulders and jump down on top of you. Toko would spew out this freeze ray that would freeze you solid in place if you weren't careful enough, and Razar had some gnarly fire breath. Another little touch I really liked is when you defeated them. They would actually revert back to their animal forms, which I assume is a callback from the second live-action movie. Another nice little touch. Now that I'm thinking about Toka and Razar, I'm pretty positive I had these two as action figures too when I was growing up. I didn't have a ton of turtle action figures, but I do vaguely remember these two. Razar was my favorite with his big teeth and long claws. <laughs> Good times. Now, I did want to quickly shout out Slash as well. He's more of a savage-looking Ninja Turtle with a set of long claws and comes complete with a sword. He was probably the most difficult boss battle for me when I was younger, and even as an adult, it took me a couple lives to figure him out. His whole shtick is he'll block all attacks incoming from the front, so you had to hit him from the back to do any damage. Now, it's pretty easy if you're playing with two players, you could just get your pal to circle around the back. But when you're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Slash, he'll block all your attacks and beat your ass down for even trying. It took me a bit to figure out I had to goad him into jumping at me, and then I would circle behind him quick enough to hit him before he turned around. Once I figured that out, I was golden. The last boss encounter I want to mention is by far my favorite. 
I think even today, it can be considered one of the most unique bosses throughout most of gaming. So what does make a good boss? Well, for me, a great boss is someone that not only challenges the player with a harder battle, but it also tests your knowledge of the game and its mechanics up to that point while changing up the gameplay formula just a touch. It makes sure you're paying attention. The battle with Shredder in his battle tank in the Technodrome was exactly this. For those who haven't played this game, let me try my best to describe this. When you first see Shredder, he's on top of the screen and you're looking at him in his badass tank looking thing. Then the camera swings around 180 degrees and the camera will stop and rest right behind Shredder like the camera is in his cockpit. You can see his heads-up display turn on, and then the action starts, and you have to control your turtle. Foot soldiers start pouring in from both sides, and Shredder is just trying to take you out with his tank. There's a crosshair that sweeps across the screen, and if it locks onto you, Shredder will fire a machine gun and hit you for some pretty solid damage. And he also tries to grab you with this long metal claw that extends out. It gets very hectic very fast. And what's more, Shredder's big-ass head is blocking a decent chunk of the screen, so you can't see everything like normal. I remember fighting him for the first time and having absolutely no idea how to beat him. His life bar was at the top of the screen, so I know I had to be able to do damage to him somehow. First, I tried taking out all the foot soldiers, thinking they'd stop coming and I could concentrate on the big bad. But no luck, I would always be overwhelmed and I'd always be killed. Then I thought maybe I needed to attack that claw thing that extends out to attack me. No dice, didn't do anything. I was baffled. And then a glorious accident. Those that know, know where I'm going with this one. One of the moves you can pull off is actually grabbing one of the foot soldiers and you can literally throw them at the screen. It's pretty fun when you do it. When I accidentally did it once during this battle, the screen lit up red and it was very obvious I just damaged Shredder. And then it hit me. That was it. That's how I hurt him. How could I have been so stupid? I started chucking foot soldiers left and right and eventually I brought the behemoth down. And man was I stoked. But it really wasn't until I was older that I really appreciated this boss fight for what it was. It met that criteria for a great boss battle. It was so unique and required you to use a technique the game was expecting you to know at that point. And beyond that, it was just creative. I really appreciated that out of the game and still have fun playing this particular level today. And it's great from a story perspective. Shredder gets tired of your bullshit and sends you and your fellow turtles into a time warp right after this battle. Now I touched on this in the beginning of the show, but I never really had a chance to play this game with friends all that much growing up. My mom's second husband had a son of his own, so I had a stepbrother for a hot minute. We got along well enough, but he wasn't much into video games as I was at that age, so I barely remember playing anything with him, but we did have our moments together. I was able to play Turtles in Time with some of my school friends who were lucky enough to have it at their houses when I would do some sleepovers, but again, no big memories that really stuck out to me. I really think this game is best played with a friend, but I loved it enough to play it by myself. That wasn't for lack of trying, though. How many of you listening have tried to get your parents to play video games with you? Of all the memories I do have, I remember convincing my grandmother to pick up a controller and play with me for a little bit. It went as well as you'd expect, but that's the magic of the memory, right? I remember her coming to the house one day, and it was right when I was about to fight Shredder in his battle tank. So I tried my best to explain to her how to throw the foot soldiers at the screen while I was playing, and 
Ugh, I almost cringe thinking about it now, how my grandmother must have felt. But it's probably one of my favorite memories involving her. I know she was lost, but I know she wanted to play with me to make me happy. I do remember looking at her and seeing a genuine smile on her face while I was trying to teach her how to play the game that I loved. It didn't last long, my mom eventually came out of the back room and the two of them went off to the kitchen to make dinner, but it was still really cool. I didn't really appreciate that memory until I was much older, and it still makes me smile thinking about it. If you can't tell right now, I'm smiling. Every now and again as an adult, I might get lucky and find this game in a bar with an arcade cabinet or two. I think it was a few years ago, but I was with my wife when I came across one. She was willing to play a couple quarters with me, and it was fun, and she tolerated me geeking out for a while, and I will always appreciate that. If you ever get a chance to play this game with somebody else, definitely take it. I still believe this game is great as a single-player experience, but if you can grab a partner, it is so much more fun. Oh, and that reminds me. If you do play this game with somebody else, you have to be aware of the rules. Rules, you ask? Yes, there are rules. Well, more like the unspoken house rules. At least these were the unspoken house rules whenever I played with somebody else. So number one, whoever has the lowest health gets the pizza power-up. It's non-negotiable. If you're critically low on health, you get to get it right away. But if you want to be really strategic about it, you can save it until all the enemies in that area are defeated and you're ready to move on. You don't want to be that one to get the pizza with maybe a half a life bar gone, and then you take a beating just to have a third of your life taken away. You want to wait to eat that pizza if you can until all the enemies in that area are gone. But remember, the rule is, whoever has the lowest health gets the pizza. Now, it's up to you. If you want to set the house rule that it's a free-for-all with the pizza, you do you. Just don't be that greedy bastard taking all the pizza because you can. Don't be that person. Which leads me to number two. There's another pizza power-up that has a little bomb icon on it, and if you grab it, your turtle will spin around instantly killing anything it touches, though the power-up only lasts for a couple seconds. For me, my house rule was this power-up was always fair game. Whoever got to it first, it was theirs. Again, if you're thinking strategically, you'd want to wait until there's a lot of enemies on screen to get the maximum effect, but even if you don't think that deep, it's still a free-for-all. But there is one notable exception. In my house, whoever was the youngest got the special power-up. My stepbrother and I, whenever we did play this game together, he, well, he was younger than me, so he always got the power pizza. Same with a cousin of mine that I play with. He was younger, so he got the power pizza. The way it worked is you just had to give the younger ones a chance to shine. So you can take the rules and do whatever you want, but that's how it went in my house or wherever my buddies and I played. Grown-up me and a buddy of mine played this game one morning, and these rules were followed, and we didn't have to speak a word to each other. They were just unspoken, and we just knew. Now, regarding the power pizza, we were both kind of the same age, so that rule didn't apply. Whoever grabbed it got it. Now, I am curious what other people's house rules were when it came to the power-ups. I do know some kids, though, they're just savages. Hell, some adults are. I remember playing the arcade version of this game, and some other kids would come up to the cabinet to play with me. They did not respect rule number one, and because of that, I would die constantly. These kids probably grew up to be those people who don't put the shopping cart back after they use them, or people who don't tip their bartenders. Speaking of savages, since I can't think of a good segue into this next topic, 
The Super Nintendo version of this game had a couple extra game modes, and one of them lets you beat on your friend, which was especially satisfying if you needed to teach them some manners. Versus mode allowed you and a friend to choose their favorite turtle, and go 1v1 as the kids say today, and fight each other. It's framed in-game like a training exercise, with Splinter acting as the referee and the other turtles you didn't pick in the background watching. But those that have played this mode know that this is not a training exercise. This was the real deal, especially when you play against your siblings. This was a match to the death, and depending on the circumstances, the stakes could be incredibly high. Case in point, I did use versus mode of this game to get out of cleaning my room with my former stepbrother. We made the wager that whoever lost two out of three matches would have to clean not just their room, but the other's room. He chose Michelangelo, and I chose my boy Leonardo. Now, not to brag, but watching him clean my room from the doorway was one of the sweetest victories I have ever experienced. Now, I will say, versus mode as a whole wasn't that great, at least in my opinion. It's not nearly as fun as just playing through the game with a partner. If you win a match, that's it. There's no incentive to keep playing, there's no scorekeeping that pushes you, at least not that I remember. The other game mode that came with this game was the time trial mode. It was unique for what it was. You picked one of three trials, and each trial were five or so stages, and each stage was a section of the story levels and you had 30 seconds to beat all the enemies in that stage that come on screen. Once you do that, you'd move on to the next stage, and your counter would reset and you'd get another 30 seconds. Basically, you wanted to finish all the stages with a combined time as low as you could get. It was a pretty decent challenge sometimes, because if you take damage, it wouldn't regenerate in between each stage. So you had to be quick, and you had to try to not get hit. I do love the fact that this mode was included in the game when I was a kid. It was fun trying to whittle down my time little by little, and get it as low as I could get but adult me doesn't really care for this game mode. They were fun for a hot minute, but they were just meh. I'd rather play the story through, but I appreciated the fact that they were there, like I said. I think you can finish the story mode in under an hour, so having something else to do was pretty cool, and a nice way to spend some time. Oh, and speaking of replayability, it is worth mentioning that you can change the difficulty of the main game in the options menu. You have your easy, normal, and hard modes. The biggest thing I noticed when playing on harder difficulties is that you'll get more enemies thrown at you, the enemies will be harder, and they're going to appear more frequently in stages. Oh, and the environmental hazards in some stages? You're going to see a lot more of those, too. I still remember the biggest thing in hard mode that really stood out to me. That fight with Shredder and his battle tank was infinitely harder, because all the foot soldiers you needed to hit blocked all your frontal attacks in hard mode, so you had to ram them or hit them from behind before you could set up that throw. Talk about frustrating. But, if you do make it all the way and complete hard mode, you'll get the game's actual ending and it's 100% worth fighting for. You'll get to see a proper ending with some pretty excellent music to go with it. Ah, the music. I can't believe I've made it this long and I've not talked about the music. So, it's about time as we wind this thing down to make that our next topic. The game's music, and really the game's overall presentation. But let's start with the music. Holy shit, is the music in this game top-notch. There isn't a single track where I'm not tapping my feet or bobbing my head a little. It's absolutely incredible. So far, at the end of all the episodes of this podcast, I've been using music from this game to play out the end of the episode. 
So if you haven't heard it before, that's a way you can get a sneak peek. And you're definitely going to hear some music in this episode too. The music is just so good. I am one of those nerds that likes to listen to video game soundtracks instead of regular music sometimes, and this soundtrack is one that I'll go back to from time to time. When I haven't played the game for a few years and I happen to hear it, I get this tug in my chest. I just gotta get my fix. And aside from the music, the graphics in this game are superb. The Super Nintendo had some pretty good graphics overall for the time, but this game looked especially good when you put it next to the arcade graphics. Obviously some things were lost when moving the arcade game over to the Super Nintendo, but everything still looks really good. The levels look great, and the backgrounds have just as much character as the Turtles themselves do. In some levels, the system utilizes Mode 7 graphics as well. What is Mode 7, you might be wondering? It's a graphics mode that allows the scaling and rotation of background elements separate from the sprites. I think I lifted that from a wiki page somewhere, so let me try to dumb it down a little bit. Really, the best examples of games that use Mode 7 on the Super Nintendo would be, let me think, Pilot Wings is one, Super Mario Kart's probably a good example, and then F-Zero. I can't really show you how this works on an audio podcast, but I'm hoping that helps visualize it. Just imagine your foreground staying in one place, like your character for instance, and everything else moving and rotating around you. The best example of this in Turtles in Time would be the Neon Knight Riders level. You're on a hoverboard of sorts, and while you can move your turtle a bit up and down and left and right, just like the normal stages, the background is moving in such a way that gives you the impression you're hovering down twisting windy streets. It's really awesome to see. And I think the best part of the presentation is the fact that, despite all the Mode 7 scrolling happening around you, the game doesn't hiccup at all. It's a solid experience through and through. Now, before we finish up, I wanted to lay on you a hot take. It might even be a spicy take, depending on how much you love this game. Now, this is coming from a guy who has buckets and buckets of love for this game pouring out everywhere, but I came to a realization as I replayed this game in preparation for the podcast. It kind of gets boring for me now. (sighs) There it is. I said it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, does not hold my attention all the way through like it used to. But let me try to justify myself. Take away the Turtles goggles for a moment. If you remove them and all the fan service from this game, it's just another beat-em-up that really doesn't do much that unique. I mean, the Shredder fight is pretty unique, but you know how I feel about that. The game does have great enemy variety, and I think playing the game on harder difficulties does spice things up, but really, you're just beating on the same enemies over and over again. You face a boss, rinse and repeat. After I played through the game once, I was pretty much done. I had to force myself to play through it a couple times to play as the other turtles. Now, I am not trying to end this episode on a downer, and I'm sure you're thinking, what about all the high praise I've just spent shoving down all your ear holes? It's all 100% legit and completely stands as is. This game is one of my favorites of all time, and I'll never not play it if somebody asks. I'm still going to seek it out in arcades, and I'll knock little kids out of the way just so I can sink some quarters into it. It just hit me that this game is perfect if you play through it once or twice, and then put it down for a little while. I played the shit out of this game when I was little because it was one of maybe three games I owned at the time. Plus, I can't deny that I had a huge heart on for the Turtles and the Ninja Turtle cartoon. 
I think where most of the love people have for this game comes from those nostalgia goggles we put on sometimes, and that is completely okay. This is a perfect game to play on your own once or twice and run it through, and then play it again with a pal, and then move on to the next one. You'll get the maximum amount of enjoyment playing it this way, at least that's my experience now. Since I finished playing it, I'm pretty content, but I can guarantee I'll hear some of the music or see the game in my library sometime in the future, and I'll get that itch again. Like I mentioned at the start of the show, I may just be flipping through the proverbial channels of my gaming library looking for something to play, and then I'll see this game, and I'll get that itch. And I'll probably pop this in and choose my favorite Ninja Turtle and go recover the Statue of Liberty and defeat Shredder one more time. Those of you that have played this game probably have the same feeling. It's like a lifelong friend or family member who's off doing their own thing. When they circle back to you and see how you're doing or you check in with them, you can't help but just pick up where you left off and enjoy a fun day together. Those are the kind of fun memories I have with this game, and I hope those of you listening get to or have already experienced this. There you have it, a recap of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time for the Super Nintendo, complete with my thoughts and a few memories sprinkled on top. Thank you very much for listening to the show. There's a ton of other podcasts out there that are probably much more better and entertaining than mine, so I appreciate you spending some of your time with a bum like me. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a good review on your podcasting platform of choice. Or, better yet, tell a friend about the show. Us nerds are pack animals, so spread the word to your respective nerd pack if you want to help support the show. And if you wanted to reach out to me directly, I can be found now on Facebook if you search out Retro Wildlands, or you can check out my Instagram or Twitter accounts at Retro Wildlands. Feel free to reach out to me, I'm usually pretty consistently on except for when I'm working my grown-up job during the day and I still want to stream on Twitch one of these days, you can find me on Twitch and follow me ahead of time if that's something you'd like to do. My handle is Nomads Retro Wildlands. I still don't really have a timeline of when I'm going to be streaming. I still kind of have to work that out amidst the busy schedule and all that, but it's something I will eventually do. I hope. So next week's episode is up in the air right now. I have a couple games I was thinking of doing, but I think it'll just come down to which one I want to put the time into. I'll probably drop a hint or two over on my social media, or just cave and tell you outright one day when I make that decision. Or, if you want to be surprised, just tune in next Thursday. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. (laughs) 